Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Well, 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 another special edition of Inside Curling. Hi again, everybody. It's Jungle Jim Jerome coming at you with our two World Curling Hall of Famers. They're still in the Hall of Fame. You haven't been kicked out, have you, Warren? Because I know you take on the curling world pretty hard. (laughs) We keep associating with you, Jim. We may get (laughs) (laughs) We are all over the country. Uh, Kevin is in Oakville uh, with the third Grand Slam that's going on. Warren is in, uh, I want to say, Port Coquitlam. Mike, our producer's in Vancouver, and I've made my way to Ottawa. I'm I'm celebrating. I'm at my sister's place. I'm celebrating here the release. My sister's a musician, singer-songwriter, sort of a Nora Jones deal, and she's releasing a new CD, the Megan Jerome Together Ensemble. I'm giving her a plug. So if you're in the Ottawa area, go down and see her at her next show and pick up a CD. Warren, I said you and I could sing backup for her next gig. (laughs) <laughs> Way back up. That would be wonderful. Wouldn't that be good, Kevin? Uh, let's get rolling. I want to acknowledge all our great sponsors who bring you this special show today. Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, and Nestle Boost. Here's what's on. Kev, uh, you're in Oakville still. You've been there all week with Sportsnet. Bring us up to speed. How's it going? It's been awesome here, actually. Uh, it's a beautiful building here at the uh, 16-mile sports complex in Oakville. Uh, really a fantastic place. Ice has been well, really good, you know, 14.8, even 15 seconds, some of the games. So really, really fast, lots of movement. And the top teams seem to be doing really well. Like, Let's go with the women's side first, Jimmy. Okay. Um, we've got Team Anderson and T. Holman leading the field, both undefeated so far. Not a big shocker, but Team Anderson playing extremely well. Team Holman, you know, I just keep, I just, I keep watching and, and, and sh- shaking my head. Tracy Fleury just makes so many curling shots. What an, what, she's just mm-hmm. an amazing player. Um, so those are the top two. They're waiting. Now there's two tiebreakers, Jim. Uh, team oh, Scheidegger. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, Team Scheidegger out of Calgary and uh, Chelsea Carey are playing in one tiebreak. And Yagi out of uh, Switzerland, of course, Anna Hasselborg out of Sweden, they're in another tiebreak. The winners will venture in to play Anerson and Holman. On Anerson's side of the draw, you've got Caitlin Laws, who who is not playing here because she's expecting any time. Mm-hmm. I hope everything goes really well with Caitlin. We've got Selena Negevin skipping, and she's actually expecting too, but but she's still playing. Um, right now, she's quite pregnant, but she's still playing great. Laura Walker <laughs> right? uh, out of Edmonton is actually filling in, throwing third. And I, I mentioned it actually on air, air tonight. The chemistry on this team just is fitting perfectly. Like Laura is really fitting in. One thing I've noticed is when a decision needs to be made, Laura is actually sitting back and waiting for Selena to make the call. It's really good. And Selena's making the call, lots of confidence, making the shot. Really fun to watch. On the Holman side, you've got Jennifer Jones and 
Unji Gim out of South Korea. So a really strong field. Not a lot of surprises that I can name. These are all really good teams on the women's side. Now, let's turn the page to the men's here. Mm-hmm. Team Botcher. They found their way. You know, we've been kind of riding them a little bit the last few weeks because they've been stumbling along. Right. <laughs> but not here. They are the number one seed playing fantastic. Keep in mind, there's a tiebreaker game. Tomorrow morning, Brad Guju against Matt Dunstone. The winner of that game plays Botcher. So can you imagine, Jimmy? Hey, you came in first place in the round robin, and you get to play the winner of Who's You Were Dunstone. <laughs> How's that for a treat? Oh, God. Give me a break. Yeah. <laughs> Give you exactly. So that's where that is. On their side of the final eight, you've got Joel Retornaz of Italy and Yannick Schwaller out of Switzerland, both playing great. Retornaz, I watched, I was, uh, I was in the update chair earlier today when uh, Kui played Retornaz. The Italians were absolutely spot on, and uh, Team Cooey just did not have a chance. They, it, it was unreal to watch. So wow. watch out for a Tornaz going forward in this one. On the other half, you've got Bruce Mowat, Scotland, of course, playing Ross White, countryman out of Scotland. Mm-hmm. You've got Magnus Ramsfeld. This is an unknown team. This is their first slam. And almost always when a team goes in their first slam, it's a wipeout. Like, it, the teams are too tough. Right. But not here. Ramsfield's three and one. They're through, and uh, they get the joy of playing Nicodine's team, which is Oscar Erickson, who, of course, is curling really, really good, as always. Uh, once again, on the men's side, there's not, in my opinion, not a lot of surprises. Maybe Ramsfell, his first slam to get to the quarters. That's amazing. So, you know, good for them. But for the most part, not a lot of surprises. Guju being in a, in a tie break at 8 in the morning, that's a bit of a shocker. And that'll be tough on, on Brad because you have to play that game and then the quarters and, you know, hopefully if he if he does well, the semis. You know, but that's a lot of work in a day. That's that's right. You know, that's a lot for, uh, for Brad's hip. So that's kind of what I'm paying attention to uh, tomorrow. And he's not a morning guy, admittedly, Brad Guju. Who is a morning guy, though, if you curl? They've never, no, no curler is a morning guy. <laughs> Especially the, the, the top ones because they tend to, the committee doesn't really want them in the first draw of the day. So they usually give them, they used to call it, Jim, the old bear draw. One o'clock and eight o'clock every day. So you could sleep. Nice. And then, and then wake up around 10 o'clock, maybe a bit of a workout, have a little bite to eat, get to the rink, play your one o'clock game, have a snooze, a couple hours sleep, play the evening draw, get off the ice around midnight, get to bed around two or three, same thing. <laughs> and right. that was kind of, that's what they called the old bear draw back in the day. And a team like Gushu, uh, he will get the old bear draw. So he, even if he was good at mornings, he might not be anymore. Yeah, right. Warren, both you and Kevin uh, were saying last week, we, we, we got you guys to give us sort of an update and how everyone was doing, who were the surprises, who's not doing well that should be and who's doing well that, that we didn't think would. And uh, both of you talked about Hasselborg not playing as well as she should be. She's into a tiebreaker. Uh, I guess I'll ask you first, Kevin, that, that this must be a big one for her to try and get through. Well, it is, but Sarah McManus is due any, I, I believe, I, I shouldn't speak out of school here, Jim. I think Sarah's due pretty soon, uh, but she's expecting okay. at any rate. Congratulations to them, but she's not here. And, you know, Sarah McManus, I'm a huge McManus fan and uh, one of the best in the world, if not the best third. So when you lose that off of your team, 
that causes a lot of problems, right. you know. Not a lot different, uh, Jim, than when Bruce Mowat, when Bobby Lammy broke his hand. All of a sudden, oh, wait, Mowat's right. not winning. Well, you, you've lost this incredible sweeper. Same thing. You know, you've lost your incredible third. Uh, but she'll be back. She'll be back, and they'll be fine. And uh, you're right. They're not winning as much as we're used to seeing Hasselborg win. But it's not a big surprise. Right. Uh, Warren, what uh, you've been watching all, what's, what say you about everything that's going on? I think a couple of interesting things. Let's first, again, s- stick on the women's side. I think uh, quite surprising that Terenzoni has gone 0-4. Uh, that team has been doing really well all year and to not win one game, surprising. I think the other one that has been riding the crest of the wave most of the year that hasn't done that well is Fushisawa, who, again, is at 1-3 and three and, of course, out of it. So... I think that's a bit of a surprise on the women's side. And if I look at the women's side, of who are the teams into the final eight? There are only two European teams, six North American. If we flip over to the men's side, it's quite the opposite. We have six European teams and two Canadian. So uh, interesting switch there as we have Europe heavy in one and North America heavy in the other. So uh, interesting twist. I'm noticing... Uh, Mawat, I was noticing again, and of course, we've talked to Mawat about uh, his release and how they're working on more turns on their stone and trying to get that consistent so they're all throwing the same way. And I know the Din team were in that same direction as well, but I was noticing today, they both those teams now seem to be all four members of the team throwing the rock the same way. I find it quite different to watch, as, as Kevin mentions, Rams fell, and you've got a couple of guys in that team throwing that very positive release, but a couple not so much, though. I'm saying to myself... Yeah, those guys need to do some work as a team, so they're, again, all throwing the same way. But that was a couple of my observations. Botcher, again, coming to the front. I watched him play today. Played a fabulous game. A little bit of hiccup in the end, but it didn't hurt him. And I I think they're going to be really strong on the weekend. So we made some picks, fellas. I was sitting on the plane, but I was too cheap to buy the internet to get an update. (laughs) But I I have a feeling when I stepped off the plane, knowing I'm going to do this show, I think I probably beat you two guys. That's what I recall, anyway. <laughs> I think you were close to beating us. You were close, Jim. Yeah, you you put up a good fight, Jim, but I didn't beat the <laughs> what? It, next, I time. had three out of four. I think <laughs> I'm looking at it. Uh, Kev, who? What did you? How did you do? Let's see. How did I do? So all of my men are still alive. I've got all of my guys are still in it. Dunstone, Schwaller, Gushu, and Botcher. Yes, they're all in the game still. On the women's side. Satsi Fujisawa actually against uh, Kerry Anderson tonight picked up a three-ender in the first end. And I thought, all right, because Kerry was Kerry was already in. I went, wow, okay, if, right. if, if Fujisawa can win this game, I'll have all four of my women's team still in. But no, Kerry was too strong. Made it, just played great tonight. So Fujisawa ends up being out. So I went three for four with the women, four for four with the men. Okay. All right, so you're seven and out of eight. Wow. Okay, Warren. What'd you do? I'm pretty much in the same pew as Kevin. On the women's side, I've got three out of four in Irison, Holman, and Jones. Uh, Terrazoni was the mistake. Yeah. Uh, didn't think I'd ever be saying that. And on the men's side, like Kevin, uh, I've got all four still in it. A little bit different because he's got Dunstan. I've got Gushu, and they're in a tie break. But uh, we both have all four on the men's side still alive. Boy, we should start betting, Kevin. Yeah, we got to go to Sports Interaction, <laughs> boys, okay? <laughs> right. right, okay. So I got you got Gushu, Mao, Din, and Botcher, and Kevin's got uh, the balance here. Dunstone, Schwaller, Gushu, and Botcher, okay. Yeah. Now let's go to Jim. 
Jim's not bad, actually. Not okay, bad. I'm going to name these, Kevin, one at a time, and you just tell me whether I won. Terenzoni. Out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that shocking? Isn't that shocking? Oh, my shocking. God. <laughs> Jennifer Jones. She, oh, she's playing really well. Holman. Extremely in. well. Anderson. In. So I'm three for four. You are three. And on the four. men, Cooey. Nope. Well. <laughs> <laughs> they got beat up today, actually. They had a chance to get in, but Retorn has the Italians. It just wasn't a fair fight. Um, Joel and his team, they they are something to watch right now. They're They're good. Right. Okay, so I went three for four, three for four. So I'm six out of eight, and I got smoked. Yeah. You guys both beat me. Yeah. <laughs> but, All right. but that's pretty good. Nice try, Jim. Would there be anything better than kicking Warren's ass at something like this? <laughs> 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 Let's whip along. we got to make some new picks then, okay? <laughs> Let's, before we get to the interview, let's do some picks. Uh, you guys go first. Go ahead, Kevin, for the semifinals. I'm going to really step out on a limb here in the women's side. I'm going to pick Anderson and Holman simply because I've been lucky enough to be behind the end boards watching all week. And uh, boy, those two teams are playing well. Warren, okay, you give us your women. Well, that's not going to take long because uh, I agree with Kevin. Those are the two I'm picking as well when I'm looking at this uh, all pretty much all North American field. And uh, oh. I think they're going to be in the final, the two of them. Okay. So that was easy. Now, I'm going to pick Jennifer Jones. So now I'm already ahead of you guys. She's playing really good, Jimmy. Not a bad yep. pick. And I'm going to pick the, the, the Anderson, the Manitoba people. Manitoba final. Okay, so Kevin, now you and the men's. Oh, boy, the men's is tough. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, on the one side, I've, I've got to pick uh, Bruce Mallett. They really played well today. On the other side, oh, my goodness, you got Botcher, who's really Curling well, you got Gushu, you can't ignore, and you've got Retornaz, who's absolutely on fire. You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I am going to pick the uh, the Italians on this one. They just played so well today. So I've got uh, Joel Retornaz, Bruce Mallett. And how can you not pick Gushu or Botcher? I don't understand it. You but just didn't. That's <laughs> yeah. what I just did. Yep. Okay. Uh, okay, Warren. All right, well, I've got to go with Mawad as well. I think uh, they're starting to gather steam, and uh, they're due to win. So they're going to be right there. And I think after watching Botcher today, just that one little hiccup, they seem to be communicating well. They seem to have the right headspace. Uh, I think they're going to be in the final against Mawad. Okay, I'm going Gushu and Adin. Yeah, you're nervous, eh, boys? I can tell. On speechless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Jim is Gushu and Adin. Kevin is Rotanas and Mawat. And I'm Butcher and Mawat. Okay. Yeah. Write that down, Warren. You guys are going to be embarrassed when I when I the next time we speak. <laughs> okay. So there we go. We got all our picks. Kev, you did this interview. I listened to it. With Kevin Cooey and uh, Tyler Tardy, have a listen and we'll uh, get your reactions after, fellas. Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
Oh, thanks a lot, you guys. Uh, Kevin, start with pretty good year so far. Your thoughts on uh, on the season? It's been good. I've been pleased. I mean, we've been we've been in the playoffs every event, and you know that's what you want to do. You want to be in contention. We've lost a, a few finals. Be nice to to win an event here, but you want to be in the playoffs every week. And so we've been cons- consistent that way. And you know, I feel like we still got quite a bit of room to improve. So uh, yeah, encouraged for sure. Well, you know, two two pretty quiet guys, Tyler, to uh, to have a, the tea head. Um, I guess how did you get together? How did this uh, how did this work? Yeah, you, you say two, but really it's four in my opinion. Um, yeah, we're a really quiet team and. Uh, Kind of came together shortly after the Briar, I guess, and um, good fit so far. Three finals is nothing to turn your nose at. I don't think we've seen the best from this team yet, so it's nice to know that there's a lot of improvement left when we're we're doing well so far. But uh, yeah, excited to see what the future holds. When Tyler brought up a point about having uh, maybe four quiet people, I brought up the point of two, but yeah, you're probably right. A chemistry on the team. Now you've been with lots of teams over the years, Kevin. Like, how do you feel about this crew? I like it. It's complete 180 from my old team that's for sure I had uh I had some mouth pieces on there and that they wouldn't stop but um you know I just think uh different dynamic we're, we're still getting used to it um probably uh sometimes need to find a way to communicate a little more but we're, we're still we're still figuring that out and and uh it like Tyler says it seems to be working and just a little tweaking here and there and I think we'll get to where we want to be Tyler talking about uh you winning three national championships in junior back-to-back-to-back. Actually, it could have been four, but you decided not to play. Um, I guess I'd, I'd just like to hear, rather than playing with a young team, like bringing a team you know, of your age, why did you decide to play with a, a veteran uh, skip? Yeah, I feel like it's an uh, easy answer. You know, if, if you can have an opportunity at my kind of age to, to learn from one of the best and learn from that, I, I think for my future development, that's going to be extremely beneficial. Kevin, uh, let's look at the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> we were just talking about Tyler being uh, young and just at a junior. You're at the other end. Um, I'd kind of like to hear from you um, thoughts on bringing a young player on and then your motivation to be able to, uh, to give it your best still. Yeah, I mean, I think it's Tyler fits in at a kind of perfect time for, for me especially. You know, I'm getting towards maybe probably my last go around. Who knows? I mean, if you keep doing well, it gets harder to quit, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm approaching it like that. And so putting my all into it and just brings, uh, the freshness and someone young that, you know, hasn't got to play in all the big events. So for us to hopefully bring them along, um, the three of us have, have played in a lot of big events. So that's fun. Hopefully we can, we can get to them all and, and, and win a bunch of them and, and just having someone young and, um, Excited to play all the time is is a good fit for, I think, where the rest of us are at. So you mentioned bringing him along. What does that mean, actually, with a young player, as young as what Tyler is? Because you and I have thrown the rock together, so I I can see what's what's going on with uh, just a youthful, uh, really good athlete, but young. What does coming along mean to you? You know, I I just think it's a bit of a jump from, obviously, juniors to the slams and then really trying to win these consistently like there's the the top teams these days um you know there's a few few from Europe and a few from Canada and they're it's hard so um I think it's just getting to getting to the big events and competing and hopefully making playoffs and and winning a few of them 
you've got a kind of a unique situation, I think, Kevin, where you have two righties and two lefties on the team. And, of course, uh, you throw out of each hack. A lefty throws out of a different hack than a righty. Um, line calling, first of all. Is it maybe a little tricky? What's your thoughts on line calling with uh, two righties, two lefties? Yeah, it's probably been a bit of a struggle sometimes and just one of those things that'll take a lot of reps and, and a lot of events. Um, we've spent a lot of time trying to get similar lines of delivery so the rocks react the same and obviously you would know that you know that makes it so much easier to to call line and um we're getting there uh it is it is different i mean i have played with with lefty before in in mark kennedy so a bit used to that but having two and we don't all throw it the same yet so it's been a work in progress but like i said that's where i think to have the year we've had so far with still what i see a lot of room to keep getting better on, on things like that. Um, very excited. Tyler, uh, have you been sort of maybe surprised even a little bit with uh, the amount of work being done with your team as far as, to Kevin's point, line of delivery and uh, trying to get the tangents somewhat similar between you and Brad and Karik and Kevin? Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, but uh, in terms of work put into the game, not so much. We got to and in, in juniors work with some of the um, more elite athletes and, and learn from them growing up to kind of um, make that transition a little bit, bit more smooth. And we, we knew what the work that was kind of being put into the game. But yeah, I've never played with a lefty myself. So it's been You've a never played of, with a, another one? No, no. Oh, is that right? So I'm, okay. I'm tripping over Brad's broom all the time <laughs> when he's sliding out. And I get the struggle that the right-handed players feel now, but no, it's been good and going good, and and uh, yeah, we're working hard to to make it make it all work smoothly. Kevin, I want to go back in time a little bit with uh, with you curling out of Yellowknife and coming within a whisker of, of winning the Canadian Junior. Then you moved to Calgary. One thing I was thinking about is with uh, with your brother Jamie. Was there a time where he might have thought about coming or may, uh, to uh, moving south and be uh, be able to curl competitively? He he was down south for a bit, and um, we played together maybe a year. It wasn't we were both kind of busy university. He was school too, so just some close close events uh, close to Calgary. So you know, for him, he just had too good an opportunity to to go back for for his career, and um, I'm sure he's happy with that. And and for myself, it was I knew if I went back, then you know, really the, the curling career to where I'd want to get to, it's just not available up there with the remoteness and the travel required. So, uh, you know, we, we had a few couple of years of, of fun. I mean, we, we got to provincials a couple of times, had, had some good runs, but I mean, back then it was obviously so hard to, I'm pretty sure we've played you a few times there too. So. <laughs> But uh, no, everyone's where they they needed to be. But um, it was fun to play for a year or two out of juniors with them. Uh, Tyler, um, arguably the best junior career of anybody in the last a very very long time, if ever. I'd just like to hear from your side of things as far as uh, strategically being able to play with a veteran skip. Karik mentioned to me um, we were just sitting around BSing at my place, and with Botcher, who Karik curled with for so many years, very few rocks in play, like or not as many. He said, "With Kevin, like holy cow, the rocks! Oh, there's always rocks to play there. You know, we can give up a three, but we'll get another one back, and it's just a different way." From your side of things, being a, a really top young skip, and now having a chance to learn 
from one of the best ever. Your thoughts on that going forward? Because no doubt in your mind, you'll be skipping again at some point. Yeah, it's funny because I, I think in juniors, I had a very similar style of play with just chucking everything in play and making something happen with that. Playing with Kevin, it's kind of interesting that you say that. Back in juniors, we were probably a team that played more men's tour events at a very young age than than most people. And it, it's kind of translating into my men's career now playing with older players to kind of learn from them. Back in juniors, we were trying to learn from the older players and get kicked off the sheet and forehands to learn as quick as we can. And, and now that I'm in men's, I'm, I'm trying to learn from the best as well. So being one of the top young guys coming up, do you see any changes that you'd love to see um, as you grow forward? I need a minute to think on that, actually. <laughs> that was apparently a good question. Because <laughs> you're going to be one of the leaders in the game going forward. Right. You know, and uh, how to grow the game, where you see it going, and changes you might uh, might want. I think changes are, are always needed in any sports, just the way that players develop and the youth are always getting better. It, it's kind of turning into a, a, a young person's game as much as no one probably may want to admit it. But... Uh, yeah, I think changes are always needed, and I think the the slums especially are doing a good good job at kind of playtesting a couple of rules, kind of starting with the no tick and all that. I don't know of any rules in the future that I'd like to see, but I'm I'm confident that the slums are probably going to be the ones to kind of playtest it and see what works best. Lately, with the uh, carving, it used to be, of course, you put as much pressure straight down the broom handle as possible and sweep and be it at 60 degrees or whatever uh, at the time used to be across the face of the rock, whatever. Now though, with carving, the, the top players tend to extend further away from the body, increasing the torque on the lower part of the broom. And there's been some brooms that are snapping, not just on, not just with Brad and Carrick, but in the game. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, I guess, the, the future of where you see that going? Like, I know it's a pretty, right. in, that's a deep question, yeah. but, but it's only happened recently where the strength of the sweeper has got crazy. And uh, so where do you see that going? Like, I maybe explain a little bit about what has happened with your team right. because of the strength of your front end. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, just seeing the way sweeping has developed over the years, watching some old shots and you're seeing them call on for line and they're, they're carving it into the... <laughs> into the rock. So um, I'm not convinced anyone really has it overly figured out yet. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some more stuff that's discovered over the next 10, 20 years. For now, we're we're just working with what we know. And it's uh, interesting having some really strong sweepers. Going back to when we were talking about line calling, I've blown a few just from the strength of the sweepers and not being used to how much they can hold or carve a rock. And um, yeah, it's uh, just a constant work in work in progress and, and learning. Is there any concern with the carbon fiber used today? Is it strong enough, Kev, with the, with the sweepers? It seems to be that with the carving, because you want a long stroke, the, the sweeper goes further away from their body, increasing the angle of the broom shaft and the broom shaft uh, failing, just simply because of strength. Nothing wrong with the carbon fiber. Yeah, I mean, it's just getting to the point where the game has changed and the sweepers are, are that much stronger. And maybe what's has worked in the past doesn't work as far as equipment sometimes doesn't work for for some people it, it's hard to tell i mean if those if brooms get kind of nicked up and travel or something they just need the tiniest little crack and you and you don't know that that could be affecting it but um hard to put a finger on because you know there there are a lot of good sweepers out there and you'd think it should be happening more if 
if the equipment wasn't strong enough. So I'm not sure, but um, like Tyler says, I, I don't think anyone has it figured out yet and everyone's still learning. And, you know, sometimes what people are doing might not even necessarily be be helping. There's a lot of unknowns. Tyler, one, one more thing to know that you guys uh, go here. Um, you show a lot of interest in mixed doubles. Where do you see your play going forward in four-person and mixed doubles? Because uh, obviously it's becoming a very busy season. Yeah, and now I've been home only a couple of weeks this year, just being on the road so much. With mixed doubles, training weekends, men's, it clogs up pretty good. But uh, I really like mixed doubles. Playing with Rachel has been a lot of fun this year. And yeah, not a whole lot bad I can say about doubles. It's a, it's a lot of fun. And, and I think it's really good for the um, maybe some of the other countries where curling isn't so popular. It's a lot easier to find one player to commit to the game than than three others in a regular team. So it's it's kind of nice to see some of the countries like maybe Estonia, for example, having a really strong mixed doubles team where it may be a little harder to find a, a full team to commit. Sure. Do you think there's any advantage, I'll ask both of you guys this, but Tyler first, uh, any advantage to playing mixed doubles when it comes to four-person curling uh, with the skill sets that are needed? Yeah, I think it's really helped my uh, kind of hack weight touch kind of game kind of growing up skipping most of the time I think doubles was a big reason why I kind of trained my sweeping a little bit more that was probably one of my biggest takeaways is the the sweeping aspect of it for for sure the the touch game is I can contribute quite a bit to the doubles as well yeah Kevin I'd like to ask you the same question before we let you go here about the mixed doubles and maybe the uh, the assets needed for mixed doubles and uh, can that help in a four-person curling game yeah, I mean, I obviously don't have uh, a lot of experience at it. When I have played it, it's just about like a different sport sometimes. Um, but but yeah, I mean, you do throw a lot of the touch shots to the center and not, not as many kind of run backs. And it, it, it's got to help your sweeping, I would think, as well, just, just getting the reps. And it is fast-paced, like you got to think a lot quicker I think than the four-person game and it's always go 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 and I mean like especially for someone uh young like Tyler I mean to get out there play top curlers because there is a lot of top curlers playing it um can do nothing but help you now your thoughts on uh last question your thoughts at the uh world or Olympic level being able to do both that's a tough one I mean being selfish if I was if I was there and and say for the four person and and um he was there I'm I'd have some concerns over just the the demanding schedule and just the I don't know using up using up his brain power just you know with the pressure and just the of the Olympics um it would be hard for someone to convince me that playing in that would help your four-person team if you're transitioning right into that right after. But it's all, all speculation. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very much, you guys. Appreciate Thanks it. Okay, fellas, uh, great job, Kev. I always thought anyone can get Kevin Cooey to talk at all is doing a hell of a job. <laughs> He's so quiet. Okay. First of all, Kevin, tell me, when you were talking about tangents uh, in that interview, what, what does that mean? 
Trying to get everyone on on the same tangents or something. Well, we got two righties and two lefties. You know, we, we had a great talk about Kevin's a really good friend of mine. I think that's why we we talk so much together. Um, but you've got two righties and two lefties, and so generally, if you don't bring the rock near the center line when you're bringing it back, if you bring it more towards your toe, then two people are starting left of the center line as you look at the ice and two are starting to the right. Therefore, if you're aiming at the edge of the eight foot to draw the button, one pair are coming out flatter. The tangent, the line of delivery, the line the rock goes on is flatter than the other two. And vice versa, if it's on the outturn side and you go edge of eight, then one is steeper, one is flatter. And what that means, Jim, is that the rocks are going to curl sooner if they're flatter. The tangent's gotcha. flatter. And so my point with Kevin, when you're trying to draw the button, you have to keen the paths up. And he did a great job explaining it mm-hmm. and and trying to make sure you get those rocks in the same line. It's really, really crucial. Draws to the button now have become so important because the last rock advantage, Maddie Dunstone said they're really hoping to get up to 60-40 where they win it 60% of the time. Huge advantage over the entire year. Mm-hmm. So great discussion. And, and it's something that the, the Cooey team are working on all the time, trying to get all four rocks following the same path as much as possible, understanding you've got two righties and two lefties on the team. Warren, your thoughts? Well, I thought the one interesting comment was when Kevin asked uh, the two of them, how did these quiet guys, virtually four of them, all end up in the same team? Right. And uh, they went quiet. <laughs> they didn't say anything. <laughs> I noticed that. They both looked at each other. When I, where's Ben Hebert and Johnny Moe when you need them? <laughs> uh, so I thought that was funny. I thought the uh, other interesting thing was talking to uh, Kevin Cooey about having this young guy with him. Mm-hmm. And I thought his comments were pretty good in that regard and the fact that, well, you know, the way things are today, you don't go from juniors and start playing in the slam right away. Not as a team anyway, you've got to gain some experience. And I found that comment interesting considering what Canada has just done. And uh, rather than to have the junior age in Canada go up a year, it's gone down a year. So now these juniors, for the most part, are going to be chucked out into the uh, real curling world when they're just 19 years old. So I found that Mm -hmm. interesting that Kevin felt that at the age of 21, it was too soon for them to be out there as a team on their own. Interesting, though, you see a lot of these European teams, they're sort of doing it. I mean, we say that those teams uh, out of Switzerland are juniors, but they're about 24, 25 years old. So they've been around for a bit already, but they're doing very well. So I found that interesting. Warren, I got a question for you because you've been outspoken about the Briar and who should be allowed to play in the Briar, who should qualify for it. And one of the long-standing things is the teams up north just don't have a chance in the Maritimes PEI. But but people forget that that Kevin Cooey is from the Northwest Territories, yep. right? So what do, what do you say, Warren? I, I know what you think about who should be in the Briar. It should be the best teams and, and get rid of the provincial boundaries. But what do you say, Warren, about developing curling then in these places up north? I mean, you'd, you don't want to end the game, right? Well, of course not. And I think he made some good points. I mean, Kevin came up through the junior ranks in uh, Yellowknife, and, and he did very well, along with his brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were an excellent team. And then Kevin, as you heard in the interview, went to Calgary, and actually Jamie followed him. And I hadn't remembered that, but they did play together for a couple of years. But uh, for other opportunities that Jamie had, he ended up going back to Yellowknife. And I think Kevin made it quite clear uh, if he wanted to advance in the game further than probably where he was, he had to stay in Calgary. So 
We've got to develop the sport in every corner of Canada, but once people reach a certain age and they've got uh, abilities and desires to be better, they're mm-hmm. then going to have to move to where there's three other people that they can play with if they want to be competitive at the world level because it's a fact of life, a, a smaller area to produce four very good players, whether it's curlers or hockey players or baseball players, is, uh, is not too likely. Unless you're from Italy. Unless they're from Italy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> but is it growing up there, Kev? Is the curling getting better? Like up in Yellowknife and NWT? And- we, we had Nick uh, Sacchinino, remember, on Inside Curling out of uh, Anuvik. And they have a fantastic curling program. The, just the issue is the numbers of people that, that live there. But you're right. Is it growing? Absolutely it's growing. It's growing across the entire globe. But to Warren's point, when you've got incredible athletes, if you if you just choose the areas, you know, you've got incredible athletes like Kevin Cooey. You've got Brad Guju and Mark Nichols. But they're they're front end, they're they're not from Newfoundland. And then you've got Brett Gallant out of PEI. Tremendous athletes, uh James Gratton uh out of uh out of New Brunswick and so on. These terrific athletes, but it's really hard out of these areas to be able to get a t- an entire team. I talk about it when I do speeches where I'm from. I'm from a town of Law Heat, a small town, small area. Mm-hmm. I could never get a team together. I had to move to the city right, to get a team together that could compete. And that's kind of what it's like. But we want to make sure we develop these, these tremendous athletes. And I think by continuing to force people, once you get a little older, into a regional setting, you're not giving them the best chance possible. You, you, we mm-hmm. need to be able to let these these stallions, uh, you know, a, a go wherever they need to go to be able to compete at the highest level. You can't trap people into one area and then they they bang their head for years and just get frustrated because you can't quite get a good enough team together to win. But a couple of the athletes might be good enough, might be a Brett Gallant. And right. I think the other thing that Kevin mentioned was the competition and, and to get from Yellowknife to, to competitions that you need to probably get yourself in practically every weekend becomes extremely difficult. Right. You mentioned Joe Rotana's, but let's take a look at those guys. I, that's all they're doing, and it looks like they're traveling almost continually to competition because, no, they'd never get the competition that they need in Italy mm-hmm. to be able to advance to, to where they are now, which is, which is the other thing. It's to get the four people and then to get the four people into the training and the competition they need to get as good as they can if they have the ability to get there. So yeah. it's a, a combination of a lot of things. But you can't, I think, today in Canada, just take a remote a region in the country and think that you can find four people that are going to be competitive at the uh, Canadian Championship level when, when you've got a number of teams that we have now that are pretty much professionals. Remember Brad Guju said, uh, you know, instead of them getting all the funding, the top teams, that maybe they should spread it around and give it to some of these teams that are developing. And maybe they do. Maybe they give them some funding so they can travel. It must be grossly expensive, you know, to get from... I think the whole system needs to be taken a hard look at, and I'm not sure what the exact answer is, except I, I don't think what they're doing is the right thing. But I think there's various ways they could approach it. But again, they need to start talking about it and figure out probably how to build a better mousetrap. Hey, Jim, when it comes to, you you just brought up a fact about it, about Italy here, that um, how much they're playing and why they're getting so good. So let's just look at the number of games here. So you've got earlier today, we had Joel Tornes At the time they were playing Kevin Cooey, they're 46 and 14. So that's 60 games already this year. They were playing against Kevin Cooey, who was 28 and 13, 41 games. At the same time, 
Oscar Erickson at 47 and 11, almost 60 games, playing against Brendan Botcher at 21 and 10, 31 games. Wow. That tells yeah. a bit of a tale. I think that's really quite important to to mention. So I didn't want to interrupt you, but I think that's kind of telling that, you know, they're playing an awful lot. It's kind of what they do. Twice as many games. <laughs> well, yeah, almost twice, not quite, but yeah, yeah, a significant amount difference. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's pretty large at this time of the year to have had played 60 games already. Wow. But that's that tells it. That's right there. That's the story. I mean, it, it's whether we like it or not, we've reached the point where the the guys that play that amount that have the ability and their training as well are going to win. Right. I don't know what more you can say. Well, however, if you say, okay, these guys have curled 60 games, the other guys are just over 30, so you got to play twice as many games. Well, if you live in some of these areas, it's like, okay, that's fine. We need another $45,000 to travel, to play as many games. You know what I'm saying? Well, again, I think uh, this is where the big room discussion has to come in and all this stuff to figure out, because right now it's all being left to chance, and I think that's that's the first problem. It's more or less uh, left up to chance in each area of the country with these kids as they're coming up through the system. Right. There, there's, there's super junior teams out there as well, uh, as, as, as there are in the men's and women's. And uh, again, that's another, uh, to some degree, confusing thing, but... It's, right. uh, it's got its issues, too. Good stuff, boys. A little off the page, but uh, I'm curious about it. Why don't you email us, insidecurling at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you can check out our Facebook and our Facebook page. Thanks a lot to Rod for doing that. Uh, so there it is, another show in the books, boys, a, a special edition. We'll, uh, we're going to watch the curling all weekend. Uh, Kevin, you're there through the weekend, of course. Thanks a lot to Sports Interaction. So listen to my picks, folks. Go back, rewind the show, listen to my picks, and then whip over to Sports Interaction. And take mine, okay? I can't lose all the time. <laughs> uh, thank you to them, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, Nestle Boost. Here's the broadcast schedule. All times Eastern, Saturday at 11.30 a.m., the men's quarterfinals. Uh, around the ring sports coverage is on Sportsnet, Sportsnet Now. And 3.30 p.m. is the women's quarterfinals. And then 7.30 p.m. is the men and women's semifinals tomorrow night. And then Sunday at 1 o'clock, the women's final. And Sunday at 5 o'clock is the men's final. And you can catch all of that on Sportsnet, Sportsnet 360. Also, uh, year on the international field. Okay, Kevin, you got a lot of work to do. Uh, very good. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. And, uh, again, email us, insidecurling at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, again, check out the Facebook page. Boys, go back to doing what you're doing. Kevin, good luck tomorrow. Warren. Thanks, Jim. Get ready to get hazed by me in these picks on the weekend. I can't wait, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) See you, boys. Take it easy, Kev. See you, Warren. Hey, thanks, guys. You bet. Thanks. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.